Welcome to the Tax Alpha Solutions Podcast, hosted by Matt Chancy. Matt is a tax consultant, author, and certified financial planner with almost two decades helping his clients grow their net worth. On the show, Matt brings together an array of specialists to share with you their experience and success along with strategies of the 1%. Matt Chancy is with Coastal One, member FINRA SIPC. And now, here's your host, Matt Chancy. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Matt Chancy, and this is another episode of the Tax Alpha Podcast. Today on the Tax Alpha Podcast, we have a tax attorney that's joining us, and it's Eric Green. He is an author and a national speaker on IRS civil and criminal tax problems. He is a partner at Green and Scholars, which is the law firm that he works for or as a partner. And then additionally, there is the Tax Rep Network, which provides training and mentoring for accountants and attorneys looking to grow their own tax representation practices um, and helps uh, generate new revenue streams for those from taxpayers that have concerns. So thanks for joining us today, Eric. No, listen, Matt, thank you for having me. Absolutely glad you could come. So, so, you know, of all the things you could have done when you grew up, you know, how did you pick the field of study that you picked? How did you decide to be a tax attorney? Completely by accident. You know, so it's funny. I actually have a book coming out on how to build a million dollar tax rep practice. And I went through, and just recently I went through this. Um, I never planned to be here. So as a quick background, uh, as a kid, I was pretty good with math. I was interested in accounting and you know, the kind of nonsense you hear, oh, you'll be a great accountant, right? First of all, math has nothing really to do with accounting, right? I mean, it's it helps to be able to do math, but the fact that you're good at math doesn't mean that you're going to like accounting. And so I went, became an accounting major, went out to be an accountant, couldn't stand it. It was boring, dull. I just, I was like, oh my God, I can't do this for the rest of my life. Ended up deciding to go to law school, really, because I didn't know what else to do. I didn't really think I wanted to get my MBA. I couldn't stand being a staff accountant. And so I ended up going to law school at night. So I was, I'm working as an internal auditor for New England Financial, which is in Boston. It's part of MetLife now. They merged into MetLife. And I'm walking over to New England School Law, and I'm going at night. So I'm going full-time at night, Monday through Thursday, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's just tons of work all the writing, the research, the reading, but I liked it. I found that law was really interesting. Graduate from law school, among the top of my class, you know, who would want to hire me? Accounting under, you know, background. Law school did really well at night, working full-time. Firms are going to want me. No, not in Boston. Not when you go to New England School of Law, they don't, because they got Harvard, BU, BC, and Suffolk to pick from. (laughs) So I got one job offer at KPMG, went to work for a big accounting firm doing state and local like audit defense stuff, hated working at a big firm. I mean, it's great if you like that environment. I hated it, did not. Ended up going to a smaller firm, decided I had to go out on my own, really was doing estate planning and like some basic corporate stuff. And I started running into people that had tax problems. And now back then, Matt, now I'm going to date myself. Back then, there were these things over at the IRS. You know, they don't happen anymore. But they were these things over at the IRS called human beings. And you could go meet with them and talk to them. They taught me how to do this. I mean, the first time I went over there, I'm like, I'm trying to, I'm going into the spiel about my client who's behind. And the revenue officer is looking at me poker face and finally said, 
you don't know what you're doing, do you? (laughs) (laughs) Clearly not. And he's like, all right, all right, back up here, Mr. Green. We got to get talk about tax compliance. Huh? Tax compliance. But they, you learn by doing it because there was someone you could talk to. That is more difficult these days because of just staffing at the IRS. But I, and, and, and once you start doing a lot of this, it was pretty easy to market because very few people do it. And so before you know it now, I have sort of this local reputation. I get involved with the American Bar and I'm doing programming. And at that level, you get the IRS executives that are on, the, on these panels with you. And then I would, you know, now I get to know them. Would you come do something in Connecticut, which is where I am? And they do. So now all of a sudden, like I have sort of, I'm starting to get like a little bit of a national rep for this. And then I had the books come out and it's just sort of, I kind of became an accidental tax controversy lawyer. Never thought about it, never dreamt that this was going to be like a thing. I didn't even know it existed. When I went to KPMG, I guess there were litigators maybe, but I was like, if you'd said you want to be a tax controversy lawyer, I would have been like, I don't litigate. It's really um, been, and it's a great practice, but nothing that I can say that somehow I planned or made a decision, I kind of fell into it. Sure, sure. Well, you look, you were, so there are people that take jobs that care more about the name on their business card, like KPMG would have been like amazing for some people because that's what their goals in life had always been to have this big brand name on their business card, right? But clearly, you were the entrepreneurial type that as you went through that process, you're like, I've got to be doing something for myself, making my own rules. And the path that showed up for you was tax controversy. So for the average person that doesn't understand what tax controversy is, let's explain it in lay terms. What is tax controversy? So what we refer to as tax controversy are folks who are simply having an issue with the IRS. Now, and by the way, there are many different you know, forms of this. The folks who don't file, something happens, they fall out of filing, and then it'll be next year and next year. Before you know it, you turn around, three, four, five years have gone by of non-filing. It could be folks, often the non-filers who then file, who owe balances to the IRS. Right. Um, folks who are just being audited. It could be random, uh, something's odd on their return that flagged it, or it could be, I mean, we do deal with criminals. I have clients that do go to prison. Sure. Um, and, you know, and it's sort of everything in between penalty abatement and all of that. And it's interesting because, you know, a lot of it depends on what you want to do. But I will tell you, I think you, you nailed it with if you're entrepreneurial, KPMG, and I'm not bashing KPMG, Deloitte, you name it. Even the big firms, Skadden, all the big law firms, they're not interested in entrepreneurial. They need you to put your head down and get work done. So what I, you know, and every now and then I speak on this at the ABA, if you're somebody who likes, like if you love doing M&A deals and being part of a big team and drafting the documents and the language, you got to be at a big firm. I mean, we're just, we don't do it here. Well, we do it, but in a much smaller version of it. But if you're entrepreneurial, if you want to, if you're an accountant, but you want to have a financial planning aspect to your business and you want to do representation, you're going to have a tough time doing that at a bigger firm where things for better or worse, they kind of have to be structured to maintain what people are doing. You can't have you know 5,000 people doing whatever they feel like. But for those of us who are entrepreneurial, this is terrific. I mean, I, I do my own, I do my podcast from here. I do webinars from here. I got client cases from here. 
and I get to I get to do kind of a mix and you know a mishmash of what I want to do, and it works well. But for controversy, it's really just it, people think of it controversy is like litigation. It isn't. It's simply helping people resolve their issue with the government. It could be IRS, could be a State Department of Revenue. The IRS and how to navigate, and I look, I'm not even going to know the names of the different, you know, fresh start initiatives or the different programs that they have, right? There's a ton of different, but I would imagine depending upon what you messed up, there's a ton of different programs or options that you could potentially look at and knowing which ones are the right fit and then knowing how to navigate those are like, and at a time when I would imagine most of the people that are coming to you are terrified in some regard because maybe they started getting nasty grams from the IRS, which seemed totally terrifying, right? Right, no, absolutely. And um, yeah, I mean, here's the truth. The IRS makes it very easy to work with them and resolve it. It really, you have to be proactive. You mentioned Fresh Start. I'm just, this is a pet peeve of mine. There is no Fresh Start program. I I know those late night commercials. No, no, no. And just, Matt, it's those late night commercials. You know, there's that voice that comes over and says, you have trouble with the IRS. You need to call the people at onlinescammers.com. They have people that know the Fresh Start program. The moment you hear that, run. So Fresh Start, was a change in 2012, and the IRS made it much easier to compromise the debt. Uh, we don't have to get into the nitty gritty of it. They made it much, much easier for taxpayers to resolve things. Those changes are permanent. It's gone. So what if people today, call, you know, they're like, well, they'll call us and say, you know, we'll walk them through what their options are. They'll say, well, don't you know about Fresh Start? I say, okay. And I explain this to them and I say, look, if you call the IRS right now, the person on the phone will either A, laugh at you because they're old enough to know, yeah, that was 10 years ago, 2012, uh, there was no Fresh Start program, or they won't know what you're talking about because they were in high school back then. They're one of the new hires who've never heard of Fresh Start before. But yeah, it's, and if you happen to be an accountant who's listening to this, this is, interestingly, it's not very complicated. It's just this niche area, no one teaches. I was an accounting undergrad, knew nothing about this. I went to law school, knew nothing about this. I got my LLM in tax, a master's degree for lawyers in tax from BU. There was one course on tax litigation, tax court litigation. That's it. And most tax lawyers know nothing about this, nor do they want anything to do with it. They like doing planning, right? That's their thing, planning and all of that. It's a really great niche area to practice in, but that's it's really about process and formula. We don't really, with some exceptions, don't really fight with the government. It's more, I understand how this works. They understand. I've worked with the client. Here's what we're going to do. Here's our proposal to resolve this. And we wrap it up. And so that's sort of the process to it. But it is understanding what you can and can't do. And the government, if frankly... Uh, for your listeners, if you have a tax problem, I would worry less about the IRS and worry much more about your state. If you owe sales tax, the state can put you out of business like that. They can take your sales tax permit, right? Most states do not have the taxpayer protections like the IRS does. I mean, tax, IRS has taxpayer bill of rights, a taxpayer advocate, TIGDA, which is the Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration, oversees them. I mean, there are some oddballs that you'll deal with, but for the most part, they're pretty good to deal with. It's the state 
that they're super aggressive. All the states are broke. They don't have protections in place and they don't care. And it's really, and like I said, they pull your sales tax permit, you're done. So when people call me aggressively, you got to deal with the state. We can work something out with the IRS. Aggressively, you want to handle the state because the state is the wild card and everything. Okay. Interesting. Uh, it's not what most people think. Wouldn't Yeah, wouldn't have thought that. And plus, you know, being from, from Florida, right? So, you know, we look at no state income tax, right? So we get all those people that move from, from the Northeast, Connecticut. The West, from Connecticut, move to Florida, and they're like, yeah, no state income tax. You know, we just, we got wealthier by, by moving down there, right? So it's a, right. it's a good move. But sales but, tax, property taxes. And the thing about Florida, which is, again, I have had clients find out the hard way, like Connecticut, New York, if they come in and do an audit and you don't appeal, but later on we discover it's really messed up, you can go and get that re-looked at. There's something called like a doubt as to liability or audit reconsideration. Florida does not have that. Once that audit goes final, it's done. That has been a huge problem for people. Florida is very aggressive because they have no income tax, sales tax is critical for the functioning of the state. And, you know, listen, when small businesses start to struggle, you got to pay the rent, right? Because if you don't pay the rent, they'll lock you out. You got to pay the food vendor or you got not, you don't have burgers or whatever to serve. Yep. You better pay the, the liquor distributor. You don't have any beer or liquor to serve. The sales tax, you know what? We'll file next month. We'll make it up next month. Next month will be better. Two, three, four months go by, interest and penalties piling up. Now they can't pay it. And the state is, they don't have a sense of humor about this stuff. Interesting. Um, and they, they come in and uh, drop the hammer on them. So, yeah, no, fear the state more than the IRS. So that brings in an interesting point because, you know, you the way I think about a lot of things, I think about, you know, income taxes, capital gains, you know, estate taxes and things like that. You know, it's not, but I know business owners that have had, you know, back payroll taxes or, you know, that they've messed up on or payroll taxes was one or self-employment tax, I guess, would be another and sales tax. So that's interesting. Not something I typically think of right off the top of my head, but I definitely know scenarios where small business owners have, uh, like you said, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to hold that back this month. And the next thing you know, they're six months out of compliance or something like that. And that creates a real mess. And 80% of small businesses fail within five years. If they go bankrupt, you can't discharge sales tax. It's a collected, it's what's called a trust tax. You've collected it in trust for the government. So you can't discharge it, uh, the tax, the interest, the government's entitled to under the bankruptcy code. So if, when people fall behind on sales tax, they're going to, unless they can somehow either borrow the money or compromise it away with the state, which is hard, they're going to own that almost the rest of their life. And so it really is, it's one of those, we just see all the time, people are very worried about the IRS. IRS is not that big a deal. Fear the state, you know, the state, you know, coming in and uh, yeah, no, they're, um, and it is. It catches people, you know, offhand. So people come to my, our office and say, "We filed with the IRS. We're dealing with the IRS." I'll say, "Okay, what about Connecticut?" They'll say, "We haven't heard from them." I'm like, "They're going to be your problem, right? They're going to be your big problem." Um, so uh, yeah, so yeah. It, it's an interesting practice, and you you learn a lot about people because you know we end up getting all their financials. So we start to see 
And sometimes I don't know where my money goes. I'm like, oh, I know where your money's going. You're eating out every single night. You know, you know, you're leasing two cars you can't afford. You got a boat you can't afford. And we see all kinds of, of wacky things. Sure, sure. You can tell a lot by looking at somebody's cash flows where they spend their money. So oh, yeah. it's funny. I had I have a CPA that I have a good relationship, do some business with that um, had one of their larger clients. Um, it was a a small restaurant chain. They had multiple locations that I guess had gotten in trouble from not, you know, paying all their, I don't remember if it was sales tax or employment tax or whatever it was, but I know it was like a year period they were going through an audit on this and she lost a lot of sleep, a lot, very stressed over that situation and dealing with that client because she wanted a good resolution for the client, didn't want to lose a large client, you know, but clearly knew the circumstance situations weren't going to work out all that great. So I, I know that was extremely stressful. Yeah, no. And it's hard because often, again, sales tax and withholding tax, it is what it is. I mean, it's not like client can come to you and say, you know, you missed this expense or, you know, this can be recategorized. I mean, Sales taxes, here are your sales, here's the number. I mean, there's not a lot you can do for folks other than negotiating you know, a payment arrangement. Now, the kicker here in Connecticut is we have a statutory 1% interest, like a credit card. And they wrote the law in a way that the commissioner can't even abate it if he wanted to. Not that they really want to, but they actually don't have the authority to abate the interest. So it's just brutal. I mean, if you uh, if you that you get a three year audit, start talking twelve percent, twelve percent, twelve percent, you know, compounding on that plus you know penalty, it gets up there pretty quickly. It's one percent monthly interest. Yes. Ah. Oh yeah. yeah. Good old Connecticut. <laughs> the power of compound interest. <laughs> They're brutal too. They are just aggressive. These were broke. I mean, most states are broke. And so they're super aggressive and, you know, it really, it's, it's like dealing with, you know, like the clients, the masochist and the state of the sadists. It's just, it's interesting. And uh, frankly, we make a lot of money doing this. I mean, you know, when they need you, they need you. And so it is a very interesting niche area to practice in. So to me, it sounds like you work with a lot more business owner clients. That's typically who hires you. Both. I think more businesses. I think the number one reason people end up in our office is because of payroll tax and then sales tax. We do have a lot of income tax folks that come in, but I think it's more, I mean, I don't have a number, but I would guess that it's a shade more, I would say 60, 40 businesses versus individuals. Okay. Okay. Interesting. There you go. So, all right. Business owners hiring you getting behind on their different, all the different taxes that you have to pay as a business owner, understandable. It's funny. I know a business owner right now that's like, I'm tired of running and managing my business because of all the different little things like an intangible property tax or something that for some of their equipment in one of their office, like just crazy. She's like, I'm tired of all the forms, all the stuff I have to file to keep up with all this stupid stuff, you know? Well, here's the thing. What I think is interesting is because they don't view it as generating income, most business owners don't want to pay accountants to do this. And, you know, because they, the feeling is it's dead money, right? I mean, it's dead money because it's not going to make you money. The reality is it can cost you huge. But the compliance in this country 
for federal income tax, potentially federal excise tax, employment tax, state income tax, state employment tax, sales tax, property tax. Yeah, it gets super complicated. And so most business owners want to do what they do, right? I'm a good financial planner. I'm a good chef. I'm a good landscaper. You know, I never wanted to be a CPA, right? And now I'm being forced. The other thing, so one, they don't want to pay. But quite honestly, the first thing I tell them is you have to get a good accountant, right? In many ways, you're better off. I know it hurts. Pay the accountant. Make sure this stuff is on. You know, meet with them regularly. And then this way, you're free to focus on what you do. The other thing is don't wait till March or April to meet with them. It's too late. It's a postmortem at that point. Right. right? You know, if you're self-employed listening to this, um, it's August. You should have already met with your accountant for this year. I normally recommend June, July. Where are we year to date? How do things look? Because if there's going to be some good planning that can be done, it's going to have to be done in the next three to four months, right? The best moves you can make are before year end, right? Setting up a solo 401k. I mean, you can't wait until the end, you know, you're out until like, you know, next summer to start trying to make these moves. IRA, you know, set up, you know, again, solo 401k or small firm 401k. If you're going to advance any expenses and get the deduction this year, look at your cash flow. Uh, where are you for your taxes? Are you up to speed? Are you behind? Are you overpaid? That's the kind of stuff you need to be working with the accountant. You don't want to get surprised in April. April should just be the report card of how you've done. If you're getting surprised in April, yeah, somebody dropped the ball. Usually it's you, not the accountant. Let's talk about that a little bit. So I, all the time, I'm saying, look, in the beginning of the year, what a CPA or a tax professional is doing is doing tax compliance work, right? They are putting the right numbers in the right boxes on the right forms, making sure that you stay out of trouble. But if you're not, and I think too many clients think, oh, well, during that time when they're looking at my tax return, they're also thinking about every possible way they could to help save me, save taxes. And I make the argument that they don't have time for that during that part of the year because they're so busy doing the compliance part of the job that, so then I ask them, well, when the CPA calls you in your, in Q3 or Q4 and says, I need you to come into my office and I need you to pay a separate fee and I need to look at some planning opportunities to help you pay tax. I go, when do you come in and take that appointment, right? And they're like, well, that phone call has never happened, right? And so I see this conflict with, you know, the client thinking that when they're doing, when the tax professional is doing prep work, that they're looking at it through a planning lens, which we know that they don't have time to actually do that at that time. And then either the client doesn't aggressively ask the professional, hey, I want to do planning and I want to come in another part of the year and I want to dedicate it, or the professional themselves doesn't know how to price the value of the planning. So they're afraid to tell their clients, hey, you're going to owe me an extra thousand dollars to come in in Q3 and we can talk about a plan. So, you know, I think that's a big misconception with what's actually getting done, prep versus planning or compliance work versus planning. And I think you were opening that door a little bit. So can you speak to that from your perspective? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, so Matt, we ended up tax prep. There's an app. And for the accountants, we automated. I mean, again, we do really IRS representation, but 
with the automations, we're like, why don't we put together, because I'm always on them, right? They should be in contact with their clients. You know, remember, you know, first quarter estimated payment in April. Remember, we have to, you know, file for any foreign assets or cryptocurrency, you know, these kind of reminders, refer a friend, get some money off next year's return, whatever. But make, set your mid-year meeting, set your year-end meeting, you know, and so one of the reasons I was harping on my tax rep members is that is there as a tool for you because you're supposed to be doing this. But what you find is most clients don't want to pay for it. So at some point they become jaded enough that they're not going to bother. And so you, you have this sort of a relationship now that has developed, I think, where the accountant's not going to bother harping on the client. The client's not going to do it. They don't want to pay. And so they're just going to sit and prep the return. And yeah, the client's not really getting, they're not really getting good service, but in many ways, it's their own fault. They don't want to pay for it. It would be like my coming to going to my financial guy, say, look, you need to do a plan for me. How much am I supposed to be putting away? Where are we supposed to be putting it? But just understand, I don't want to pay you for it. Right. Well, you know, I mean, who's going to say, oh, okay, yeah, I'll drop however many 20, 30 hours. I'll, I'll go through this with you just because. It's not the way it works. You know, right. the way I explain to the taxpayers that come to see us, you know, I can mow my lawn. I used to mow my lawn. But my time is better spent. Frankly, I would rather watch the guys through my home office window, drive around on their commercial vehicles and mow the lawn. And during that same hour and a half, I can end up billing $1,000. Yep. I'd rather pay them. And frankly, I am happy to pay them. They've earned it. Here, if you want this stuff, if you want to maximize um, your opportunities, and listen, they may not find anything, but at least, you know, you can say, all right, when I pay that bill to, for taxes, it's legit, right? We looked at opportunities. There's nothing really there, or they'll come up with stuff you may decide you don't want to do. Another, what drives me insane is this, clients will come in and we look and they have all brand new equipment. And we looked in the year prior, all brand new equipment. And I'm like, why are you buying equipment every single year? I mean, this stuff should, you get to write it off over seven and a half years or whatever. And this stuff will last 15. And they say, oh, well, my accountant told me I had to come up with some more deductions. I'm like, wait a minute. You have an accountant that told you to go spend a dollar to save 30 cents. Right. I said, okay, how about this? Don't listen to them. This year, you send me those dollars, I'll send you back 50 cents. And they said, that's dumb. And I said, yeah. I mean, like, well, what? So if you're listening to this, like for us, we always go through, I mean, we have some older computers that were Windows 7, you know, they're five years old, time to replace them. I'm going to spend that in December, take the deduction now rather than next year and get the benefit later. But we're not going to go buy computers we don't need. Right. This is dumb. I'd rather pay the 30 cents on tax and keep the rest of it. So uh, there are also some accountants giving bad, very bad advice. So as a business owner, when they give you the advice, first of all, does it even make sense? The other thing is, don't be afraid you have a tax preparer to go take a consult with another tax pro to look at your returns and see what they have to say. Hey, have you considered becoming an S-Corp? You're making 250000 you have some employees. Why don't you become an S corp? You know, you could save eight grand, nine grand. 
you know, I mean, sometimes it's good to get another point of view on things. Yeah. And I don't think it's being disloyal. It's look, this is this is my business. I mean, this is what brings money into the family. This is critical. Am I getting all the best advice that I can? All right. Uh, I know people hate using lawyers, but I got to tell you something. A decent lawyer will save you lots of heartache and all of that in the long run. When I was first in law school, I interned at one of those big, big firms in Boston. And there was a partner there in the corporate department who gave a talk to, um, it was kind of funny. So it was a day that they had people in and they got bumped from the really big all with the glass windows at the top of the tower room because um, they said that room had to be left clear. Jimmy Buffett's, Jimmy Buffett's attorneys, I guess, were coming to meet and negotiate some royalty thing. And then (laughs) 20 minutes later, another email came out to everyone saying, no, Mr. Buffett will not be here in person and he will not be signing anything. So everyone was like, oh, I got to get him to sign something. But so they got bumped. And in that talk, he said, look, there are two ways this is going to get resolved. You can resolve it here in advance by getting the documents done, your agreements in place and all that. Or I've got some litigation partners that will be more than happy to charge you multi six figures to litigate the issue later. Sure. It's a lot cheaper to do it here and go down the hall and later and do it there. And so if you're a business owner, having a good accountant, making sure your books are kept up to date. You're not doing them in January at the end of the year, trying to get everything in. You have not done yourself any favors. Now, again, it's a postmortem. Now you're just seeing what the hell happened after the fact. Making sure what you're doing is documented. You have a real operating agreement if you have an entity. Your contracts are reviewed. You don't have to spend tens of thousands on a huge firm, but have an attorney go through it and just point out things. You might be agreeing to an arbitration clause in North Dakota. Well, I'm in Connecticut. I don't want to live, you know, go to arbitration in North Dakota. You know, that kind of stuff. Make sure that you're, you know, you do the easy stuff. I think, you know what, Matt, honestly, I think if there's anything, just the low-hanging fruit. Make sure your accounting is done properly. You've got good handle on your numbers. You're getting good advice. And when you do enter something that you've had it looked at by a set of eyes. I understand nobody wants to pay lawyers. No one likes lawyers. I'm a lawyer and I don't like other lawyers. <laughs> but you're really putting your, you're harming your own interests in the long run. Sure. Or you're ga- that's what's right. You're gambling. Sure. Understood. Yeah. You're taking a risk. You know, it's funny. Um, I don't know that my mom really ever understood what I did. And then she got married to a, a few years back. She remarried. And I said, Hey, you know, why don't you, she started using the CPA of her new husband. And I said, she was making some money in her business. And I said, you know, why don't you ask him about, you know, adding what he can do for your taxes, you know, qualified plan or whatever. And she's like, Oh, they've already done everything possible. I said, I'll tell you what, look, I'm going to send you an email, just forward this email to the CPA that you're working with and see what happens. So I write the email up and I basically said, you know, hey, based on the time of year it is, is there any type of qualified plan that we could implement where we could, you know, make a contribution, get a deduction for last year's tax return, right? If there is, let us know. That'd be great. And so, you know, I send it to her. She copies and pastes it and sends it to the CPA. CPA doesn't call her, doesn't do anything, adds a SEP, shows the contribution amends the return, sends her a new return, sends her an invoice for like $2,500. Doesn't even call her and talk her through it, just does it, right? So, and I was like, and they're like, and so her husband said, 
don't you send that email to our CPA. He's already done everything that could possibly be done. There's no way your son knows what you're talking about. (laughs) And so when they got the invoice back from the CPA, you know, showing like a, you know, $30,000 deduction or something like that for the set plan that they had put in place. um, They went and they fired the CPA, you know, (laughs) they were like, he was so mad. I was like, I told you that's not what they do. You know, I was like, but you know, moms never know what they, what their kids are doing. So anyway, it's, it was kind of funny, but, but yeah, just, it was a function of, of simply that the CPA was looking at it always from a prep standpoint, never from a planning standpoint. And and they weren't, and they weren't engaged for that. And I just think that's a a thing that a bunch of people uh, just don't understand that. You know, if you want prep, I think the big takeaway here and Eric's agreeing with is if you want your CPA to plan, call them up in Q3 or Q4 and go, I am willing to pay your hourly fee to sit in your office for an hour or so and us talk through all the potential planning opportunities that we could do. And if you could whip up a couple of what if tax return scenarios of what that might look like, so I can compare and contrast the actual benefit I would get, that would be great, right? Right. Again, you know, to expect them to do that in March at the height of when they're pulling their hair out, not going to happen. So in many ways, you're right. Um, Q3, Q4, again, you have when there's time to do something and implement something and you get their undivided attention because, you know, it's not that. They don't want to help you. They're buried. Yeah. You know, they're just buried with stuff. And so, no, it really is. I think the takeaway, it's your business. Your life effectively is a business. You need to take charge of it. All right. And if you're not getting the service, find someone who can get, take a consult with somebody else, but, you know, utilize the experts that you have. Otherwise, I'm not sure what the point of having them is. Sure. Totally understood. And I think it's a fear, right? It's a fear of the unknown and it's a fear of, you know, I mean, I remember the first time I ever hired an attorney that I can recall when my dad had passed away, I had to hire an attorney for the probate, you know, and they called me one time and talked to me on the phone for a little bit. And then I got an invoice later in like six minute increments, they were billing me for that phone call. And I thought they were just being nice and keeping me in the loop of what was going on with the case. right? And I'm like, I was young. I was like, don't call me, just get it done. (laughs) Um, Well, you know, what's funny is when we get clients who want to constantly talk to us, Usually that first bill will solve that issue. <laughs> I've actually, you know, given where we are, we have some, um, we have a lot of clients in towns that you've probably heard of. Greenwich, Westport, very upscale, lucrative, where the hedge fund folks live and all, you know, um, all that. I have a client that is down there. We had a, an issue going on and she would call and we're talking. And I'd be like, look, let me do this. I don't have to keep you on the phone. She said, look, I'm worth, 80 million, whatever it was. I know you're billing me. I don't care. I want you to sit and listen to me. I'm like, okay. And so we <laughs> walked through it. Again, it was like every few days that we'd walk through it again. We walked through it again. She paid the bills. She didn't mind paying the bills. But listen, you are paying for their time. They do need to keep you in the loop. I do know some attorneys that, you know, I'll get on the phone and they don't want to shut up. And I almost think it's like a tactic to run the bill up. Sure. I'm like, dude, yeah, we're done here. <laughs> I, I got to go. My client's not going to want to pay this. But but I think that the takeaway is find good professionals and utilize them. All right. And utilize them in a way that they can actually help you. And if you're not sure, talk to them. 
say, hey, look, I want you to help me plan. When are we going to do this? And they might say, look, all right, October 15th, we do the filing. First week of November, let's make an appointment now. You come in then. It's going to cost 500, 400, 700, whatever it is. Do that. And I know, again, people don't want to pay that bill. Sure. You know, at least do it once. If they really come up with nothing, your W 2 employee, there's nothing to plan for. Okay, but you've crossed. You know what it is? I think you sleep better at night knowing you've done what you can. You feel confident that whatever plan you have is working. It is what it is. But otherwise, to fly blind is not a good idea. Not a good idea. Well, you know, there's been some headlines in the news recently about some legislative changes coming around. I think they call it the the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act that, that you know, Biden and everybody's trying to pass right here. Yep. So, you know, I think there's some chatter in there about some the IRS spending some money and some enforcement. I'm sure that's probably something that you have an opinion on. Yeah, it's signed. I think he signed the bill. So that's done. And look, regardless, Republican, Democrat, I think there's a lot of good here. What You know, on the one hand, yes, it does a lot for the climate. But from a business person's perspective, industries are going to have a lot of money thrown at them. The microchips that they signed before, I mean, I think that just makes good common sense from a military perspective. But also, if we can manufacture stuff here, I think we should do it. These new um, other, um, these new energy technologies, I've, I've heard this debate we could do everything we want and we're not going to impact the environment like more than like one or 2%. You know what though? They will create jobs. And if we can maybe move the needle a little bit, uh, that's fine with me. Part of this is 80 billion of funding for the IRS. And there's just, you know, there's this thing on the internet. You probably saw 87,000 new auditors. That's not in the bill. In fact, all the bill says is more funding for the IRS that's it. There's no other detail. It's like a paragraph. And so where do they come up with that? Well, there was a wish list back in 2021 that the government had. And what they talked about is 87,000 new employees over the next decade, because we're going to lose 50,000 to retirement in the next five years. So I don't think it's what I'm hearing, and I've already gotten calls from a few of the outlets saying, okay, you know, Mr. Tax Guy, 87,000 new auditors, you know, are, we, are they going to be parachuting into the cabanas and grabbing our stuff? What are we doing? No, no. First of all, the IRS is going to have an uphill battle finding 87,000 people in the next 10 years to do anything. But that bill includes technology upgrades that are desperately needed. There are people at the IRS, some systems are running on COBOL from the 1960s. I've seen that online. I've saw videos of some of the software people showing this is what it looks like at some of the IRS offices. I mean, this technology is so old. Oh, yeah. We use software called Tax Help Software for our transcripts. I've sent the reports to folks at the IRS and they've called me and be like, what software is this? So I tell them and they're like, I wish we had this. <laughs> it's Their stuff is so archaic. A bunch of that, by the way, is going to just human beings on the phones, right? I mean, you know, I have clients, look, we're given, we're a weird state, like we're a democratic state. There are big areas here that are hardcore Republican, like the, the lower Fairfield County. So I have clients that are like, you know, slash the, but get rid of the IRS. I'm like, remember that you were complaining about you couldn't get to a human being and your return hasn't been processed. Are you happy? Everything good? That's what you're talking about. Right. If you're unhappy with the law, take that up with Congress. 
right? The IRS only does what it's told to do. So a lot, but a lot of this is needed to replace people. I mean, we were at 85,000, I think, eight years ago. We're now down to 70,000. So there are 15,000 employees that are just gone. This is the impact. People cannot process the paper. People cannot answer the phones. What's interesting is they, this year in 2021, began using bot technology. Bots have already, as of two weeks ago, because I just had Darren Yeo uh, on my podcast. Darren is the Deputy Commissioner for Small Business Self-Employed Division. And Darren was telling us um, the bots, as of two weeks ago, have, or I think through the end of June, excuse me, have answered 5 million phone calls. And based on the surveys people do at the end of the call, when you stay on and do a survey, 40% were happy with the outcome. That means that the bots got rid of and dealt with 2 million calls. And he said, in of the 13 million we get a year, that seems small, you know, 4 million oh, you know, annualized, but that's 4 million that people didn't get hung up on and human beings didn't have to deal with. Sure. And the technology will just get better and better and better. So I think a lot of that money is going to go to replacing people that we already have. I think a lot of it is going to go to technology and support that we need. And the piece that will go to enforcement, no offense, we also need. Because if people don't think that the tax laws are administered fairly, we know. I mean, surveys, history, compliance goes off a cliff. So if people really think that the rich aren't getting audited or aren't being pursued, um, which I don't think is true, but when people perceive that to be the truth, you know, small business owners, middle income people, like, why am I a schmuck? Why am I the only person doing everything properly? Right? And we know compliance will fall. So I think for the government, it's as much as of an image thing that, no, we are pursuing these people. I mean, I know Chuck Reddick. He's a friend of mine. He's the commissioner. I knew him when he was at the firm in LA. Um, Chuck is an aggressive guy. I can assure you he didn't back off on anybody. But COVID, um, when COVID hit, anyone who could retire, retired. All right, get the hell out of the government. They're working remotely. Their systems all have to be upgraded. It's a bit of a shit show, for lack of a better term, over there. And so they actually need the infusion. Like for me, it's a great thing. With that will come some more enforcement. They're also, what's interesting is it was only a few years ago, I think they woke up and realized how much data they have. So I'll I'll give you an example, Matt. So for those people who don't know, an offer and compromise, when you submit an offer, an offer is a formula. It's called reasonable collection potential. They look at the income you know, they're allowable expenses. We don't have to get into the, the minutiae of this. And they also look at assets. Well, they had this idea two years ago. You know, we have all this info from FACA, all the foreign assets, foreign bank accounts. What if we take that and the cryptocurrency, you know, the virtual currency we got from the John Doe summonses on Coinbase and Kraken and Circle. And there was one just issued, I don't know if you saw the headline yesterday, DOJ issued another John Doe summons on a different virtual currency platform. Um, I'm mind blanking on the name right now. Well, they got all this data. Why don't we compare that to anyone who filed an offer in the last two years and see if they're on the list and if they actually disclosed the virtual currency and the foreign assets. Referrals from small business collection 
to criminal went up 42% for failing to disclose the assets. So in many ways, the technology, the data uh, the IRS has is also allowing them to do more and better focused, I'd say, enforcement. The audits are going to get better as they have better detail. We don't have to audit Matt because Matt's really got nothing going on. But we have some flags or some indicators that this character, Eric Green, there's something missing on his return. And I think you're going to see more audits, but better targeted audits than the random where you just won the, the, you know, actually you lost the lottery, right? You got picked and now you're getting audited for no apparent reason. Um, they will do still do some of those random, but more and more what I'm hearing is they feel that they're going to be able to, with the technology, target the people they need to be targeting. Sure. I mean, look, everything comes down to fact patterns, right? If this, then this. Statistically, you just know if you see a couple of those leading indicators, there's a really good chance that somebody's, you know, didn't disclose something or underdisclosed or whatever. And you might just want to take a deeper look. You know, I, I've got a bunch of calls and questions around, you know, the enforcement, the IRS, you know, the budgeting, you know, and what were they going to do? Was everybody going to be a target, right? And I said, look, an audit is just simply a way where somebody says, it doesn't necessarily mean you did something wrong. It just says, we need to take a deeper look at what you did. It's a little bit non-traditional, right? And we just need to back it up, see the documentation that supports it, that backs it up. It doesn't necessarily mean that you did anything wrong. It just means, you know, that you put different numbers and different boxes on different forms and different sizes or magnitude than the average person does. And it red flagged it. And somebody just says, I just need to take a look at what you're doing there, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's um, it's funny. In the Internal Revenue Manual, when it comes to audit and policy, there's a statement in there about uh, that it's an educational opportunity. So when I give these talks in front of accounting groups, I mention that and I'm saying, I've yet to, in 20, almost 23 years of doing this, I've never had a client call me and say, you know what, Eric, we got this audit notice. You know what, I'm excited about this. Good educational opportunity. See how we're doing. <laughs> Check out what's going on. Are there ways we can improve? No, I have never heard that. What I've heard is, why are they targeting me? Are they watching me through my computer? There was someone who walked by my house last night. Do you think they're watching me through the windows? No. Uh, Listen, they could, but they're not. If they're watching you through your computer, it's not about your taxes. There's something else going on there that the NSA or the FBI has some interest in watching you. Although with that said, I won't have one of those stupid things in my house, you know, where you can be on Siri or Alexa. Alexa. Yeah, no, I know. Listen, I, I mean, we do criminal cases. I have clients where the government with a warrant turned on their cell phones and listened to them. Oh. So I have a brother-in-law who's got the whole house wired. He can control his whole life. Uh, the music system in his house, all the doors, all the windows from his phone. I won't have any of it. I don't want any of that stuff in my house. You know, because actually, I'm, I mean, again, I wouldn't talk about it at home with my family, but I do have client cases where we have criminals. But yeah, no, the um, the idea that somehow, you know, when this and these things happen, yeah, the most taxpayers aren't happy about this. But you're right. I mean, the tr- most audits are fairly cut and dry, provide the backup, you know, support the numbers. And, you know, it's and it could be it could be, look, you know. For a business that is earning X number of revenue, office expenses are within 10 to 20%. 
you're at 45%. So the system flagged that and we just want the backup on your office expenses, right? Uh, and you know, could be anything from it's a fairly new business or you expand it or who knows, you know? Um, so yeah, it's not time, I agree with you, not time to panic. However, clients that come to you who are panicked, usually there is a reason they're panicking. Sure. Um, we've had this where they come in and I'm like, all right, so I need to see what this expense is. And they're like, yeah, we don't have anything. We made it up. Right. Hey, yeah. Um, things are about to get interesting for you. And I have to tell clients that like, you know, look, I'm in the planning business, right? So I'm telling my clients, look, first and foremost, there's a high probability that your tax professional isn't doing any planning for you because it's just not the way that their business model is played out. They're doing compliance work, not planning, right? Secondarily, if they're going to plan, they're going to charge you a different fee. You're going to come in at a different time of year and you're going to know it's a planning conversation. You're going to be really clear about that. And if they do plan, they're typically going to plan for, you know, to be 100% compliant and a 0% audit risk. We don't want to do anything whatsoever that would cause you an audit. And so then I ask my clients this question. I say, look, you're a business owner. You make risk on risk off decisions all day long. Do I open a new location? Do I hire a new employee? Do I buy new vehicles? Like there's no guarantee that those things generate additional profits for your business, but you believe that they ultimately will, right? So when you're looking at a planning opportunity or a planning strategy, the goal is not to be 100% zero compliant, like like the goal is to say, is it legal? Is it ethical? Is it in the code? Might it red flag something where they want to come and take a deeper look and then just make sure that our planning is all buttoned up. So you're like, hey, here's what I know you want to look at and here's the documentation to support it. And so you have to ask yourself, is the juice worth the squeeze? Now that for most tax planning professionals, that is a long way from the zero, from the 100% compliant tax preparation work only that they're doing today, no planning whatsoever. And sure, certainly not shooting for, you know, planning with a conversation with one of their clients of like, Hey, you could get audited, but here's the backup. Right. So different conversation. And again, I would think if you are talking to your accountant and you get the sense they really don't do planning, you know, like everything else in life, there are times you will outgrow your professional. And I have some clients who can go to a solo that I know is a very good, you know, CPA or enrolled agent and go and do this. But I have some clients that I'm like, look, you got multi-state things going on. It's time for you to kind of level up, if you will. And you need a, a, a bigger regional firm and you're going to pay for it, but you need that kind of planning because here's the different various things that you have exposure on, you know, state sales tax in five different states, 12 different states after Wayfair, if you're doing a lot on the internet, it could be 50 states. Yeah. Um, people say, you know, I can go get like Avalara. It's a software that does 50 state, you know, I'm like, are you going to sit here and do this? <laughs> and like, I understand there's software, like there's TurboTax, that doesn't mean that it's a good idea for you to do your own return, yeah. all right? I think that um, business owners at some point may want to consider the idea that they need to go and hire a different level of professional who does more aggressive planning, who um, does, you know, deals with international, deals with multi-state stuff, and you are just naturally going to end up at a bigger, mostly at a bigger firm who has that sort of expertise, 
Yep. I liked my third grade teacher and I really trusted her. But at some point for my education to advance and grow, I had to leave third grade, right? right. <laughs> or, you know, another scenario, I really like my general practitioner. I've been with him for 30 years in the medical space. We have a great relationship. He knows everything about what's in my medical charts. But let me tell you something. If you get diagnosed with something like cancer or some other thing more complicated, you have to go to a specialist above and beyond your general practitioner to solve that problem, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, that's where you're at. That's where you're at. You're in a planning opportunity and you have tax cancer or whatever. Your financial life got more complicated than the average person. You have to outgrow that trusted relationship and find the right person to solve your problems because you're different. Right. Same in general. I've been going to my neighbor who's an attorney. He did my original agreement and all that. And that's lovely. This is like a franchise agreement. There are lawyers who do nothing but this. Sure. It's time to go to a specialist. Yeah, sure. no, I um same thing. I go to my general, he did a will for me. Okay, great. But now you have a special needs child. You have, you know, you need an irrevocable life insurance trust. You want to do a cupid on that second home. You know, these sort of a you're familiar with this more advanced planning techniques. Yeah. You need to go to a real estate planner. Yeah. Right. Yep. Someone who understands the tax implications of this and how this has to be drafted and what you need to do ongoing for compliance versus they've got a forms package and they're going to spit something out for you. Sure. Absolutely. Well, Eric, I've had a great time today. I've learned a lot. I think it's been fun and entertaining and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to cut us too short, but we're about at an hour that we spent here. So, um, you know, based on everything that we've talked about today, any kind of closing thoughts or anything that we didn't get around to? I think the takeaway from today, uh, well, two, one is on that new, in the new bill, yeah, don't panic about an army of auditors coming for your stuff. That's not going to happen. All right. Uh, but two, I think the real thing, which is one of the things I love about your podcast is, is on the planning side, that really is important on the, for your, on your taxes. And the biggest thing I see, and so my, my two cents on this is taxpayers either don't want to pay or don't have the right accountant. But you need to if, the, if you need to take control of your business, and that includes all aspects of it, including the planning. So make sure you get your planning done. Make sure you meet with your professional. And if you get to the point where the professional is not the right person, it's time to go find a new professional or at least seek another opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I don't disagree. You know, I've run into scenarios where I feel like they've been, uh, they could have used some creative planning, uh, legal planning, and maybe saved a hundred thousand dollars a year in taxes. I've been like, how long have you been with your tax professional? A decade. I go, so theoretically, like you could have had a beach house or your CPA, which <laughs> legally, like, which right. <laughs> do you like your CPA better than a beach house? Is that what you're trying to Clearly that we know the answer to that, right? Yes. <laughs> well, Eric, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. It was a fun conversation and very educational at the same time. Uh, so thanks for coming on. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to get to know you. Yeah, no, Matt, thanks for having me on everyone. Thank you for listening. And um, it's been a lot of fun, too. Well, look, I know that you have a podcast. Take this opportunity and plug your podcast. All right. Well, my podcast is the Tax Rep Network podcast. Generally deals with anything tax controversy, representation related. Um, if you're a business owner, the way you might be interested in listening to is we have the IRS executives on a lot. So if you're interested in what the IRS has got going on, you can tune in for that as well as just, you know, me and colleagues from around the country talking about what's hot right now and what's going on in 
representation, which our niche crowd really is accountants. I mean, I think most of my listeners are accountants and lawyers, but um, business owners may find the IRS uh, speakers to be of interest. Very nice. Very nice. Well, everyone, uh, this is Matt Chancy. Today was the Tax Alpha podcast, another episode. On today, we had Eric Green, a tax attorney with Green and Sklar's and the founder of the Tax Rep Network. And that was the podcast that he talked about. So give it a listen. And um, we appreciate your time. And until next week, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you then. Thanks, Eric. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Tax Alpha Solutions brought to you by Matt Chancy. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guests and insight. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. 